not bringing anything earth-shattering or anything like that. We're just going to go through some few things just to take lessons from Scripture. We know that everything that is written in the, in the pages of Scripture, they are carefully selected by the Spirit of God. We know that God couldn't, or rather wouldn't, give us everything that we need, everything that he could give us, but he gave us enough what we need to know how to live our lives whilst we are in, on the side of the veil. And so no doubt the things that we're going to look at are just some of the things that are in Scripture. We're not going to read everything that we're going to talk about tonight because we are going through the Kings and after a lot of contemplation I decided I'm going to talk about King Ahab <clears throat> who is king number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven since the split of the kingdom. If you remember from the last lesson that we have looked at, after uh, King Solomon, the kingdom is split into two. There is Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And Rehoboam um, rules over or starts the trend from the Judah, the southern part of Israel. Uh, but Jeroboam on the right-hand side uh, is from what is scripture calls Israel, which is the ten tribes of Israel that are on the northern side of the kingdom of Israel. As you can see, there is quite a little bit of time. This is almost about 50 years or more uh, since uh, the kingdom was divided into two. And Nadab, um, the one that is just below Jer uh, Jeroboam, is the son of Jeroboam, who is assassinated by Bash Basha or Baasha. Uh, and then Baasha is rebuked by God, and God tells him that what you have done is going to be to befall you as well. And so, and his his son Ella, who succeeds him, is assassinated by Zimri, which is fulfilling God's uh, prophecy on that. And then um, Zimri is also as assassinated by um, Omri. And then I think Zimri only ruled for a very, very short time. It was one week. You might check me, but I think he was the shortest reigning king. And then when he assassinated uh, uh, the king, uh, Israel was having none of it. So they decided they're going to put an army together and go after him for assassinating the king. And then he runs into a city. He locks himself into a city, and he, when he not, notices that there's no way out, he goes to the king's house, he burns down the house and himself inside. So at this point, um, the kingdom in the north is temporarily divided into two, but you don't see the other name there. But there is Omri, and then there is another somebody who is called Tibni. For a short period of time, the northern kingdom sort of like is divided into two, and they are undecided as to which way they go, but the family or the followers of Omri, they become more and more powerful, and then eventually Omri becomes the king when Tibni dies. So it is this Omri then who gives us King Ahab. King 
King Ahab is a well-known uh, scripture actually dedicates quite a lot of space to King uh, Ahab. In fact, I think it goes all the way to the end of First Kings from uh, chapter 16. So we're not going to read everything, uh, but let us just read here some introduction of King Ahab. That will set the tone as to what kind of a king we are looking at here. So First Kings chapter 16, please. First Kings chapter 16. We can either just listen to me or you can follow in your Bible. And this is in the 30 and 8 years. That's verse 29. 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29. And in the 30 and 8th year of Asa, king of Judah, you can see left hand side, that's Judah. Asa, he span almost six and two halves of kings, so to speak. So he really reigned, I think, for about 42 years. Uh, so he spanned quite a lot of northern uh, kings. So on year 30 and 8 years, that's King Ahab, you can see, he starts just at the end of, of Asa, and then he outlives Asa, and, uh, who is succeeded by his son, Jehoshaphat. So before King Asa dies, so in the 30 and 8 year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign over, Jer over Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, above all that were before him. If you remember from the last lessons that we looked at, what did we say about the kings of Israel? There was none good. Not even one. Out of the 21 kings that were there, there was none good. There is one who is kind of actually is uh, anointed by Elijah, Jehu, who is kind of like a mix. It's a mix. It's almost like he's a yellow color. He's not red. He's not, <laughs> he's not green. So he's yellow color. He's kind of like a mist. And he is the only one who is kind of was a bit better, right? But otherwise, all the kings in the, in, in the kingdom of Israel were all evil in the eyes of the Lord. So therefore, Ahab was no different. In fact, Ahab was one of the worst of the kings of Israel. And uh, the scripture actually says that, um, And it came to pass as it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. Jeroboam, remember, is the founder of the Israel kingdom. He is the one who started a false altar to rival the true altar, the true temple that was in Judah. He is the one who started this rebellion on the northern part of Israel. And he set parallel structures and even instituted his own priests, so to speak, to serve in this false um, uh, temple that he had created in northern Israel. And scripture does not forget. you find that as you read across all the kings, all these bad kings, scripture com const constantly refers back to Jeroboam, that he did the sins of Jeroboam, as Jeroboam, as Jeroboam. So he started this, and we see it continuing down the, gener the generations. But as bad as the kings of Israel were, Ahab were of another level altogether. All along, the kings that have come before him have been bad. They've been assassinating each other and all that and all that. They've been bad enough as it were. But scripture tells us here that 
<laughs> it was as if it was a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam. He took some steps further, some things that were not, that were not done before by the kings that had preceded him. What are the things that he did? First of all, he married uh, Jezebel. Jezebel came from the kingdom of the Zidonians. Uh, one of those people that God told them, no, no, don't touch. Have no relationships with these people. Now, there are things that scripture tells us not to do. It's not because God somehow is a God of don'ts and don'ts and don'ts and don'ts. It's not that God is trying to deprive us of anything. But there are things that scripture does not encourage us to do for our own good. Because God knows infinitely more than we know about ourselves. We are not as strong as we think we are. And in fact, there is within us the propensity, if it wasn't for God's mercy, think of the worst thing that mankind has done to each other. We have the potential within ourselves. Given the right circumstances and the right place and the right situations, without the mercy of God, there is every capability in us to be just as evil. And God in his wisdom, sometimes he puts boundaries around us to say, look, don't do this. And the reason why God told Israel, don't mix with these people, it's not because God was some kind of a racist or anything like that. We know that God saved actual people who were not Israel. We know that. But God knew that these people are not going to be a good influence for Israel. He knew that these people, if you go back and you remember what God said to Abraham. He said, look, I am not going to destroy these people yet. He gave them almost a chance. He lists seven types of people that were in the land of Canaan. And he said, I am waiting until they are, their sins are full. When their sins are full, they will get what they deserved. Now, we don't like to talk about this, but scripture is very clear. That there is a coming a day when the world will reap what it sowed. There is a coming a day when God is going to wet his sword. I'm using a biblical term here. And he is going to make justice to the world as the world deserves it. But just like the seven people of the land of Canaan, that God gave them chance after chance after chance after chance, for them to do right, to get right with God, God to come to a point when he says, thus enough. God's mercy, one day that door is going to be closed. I hope when we preach the gospel on Lord's Day if, in afternoon, we are as passionate as the agency of these matters are because we don't know. It can be any time that door is going to be closed. And so God told Israel, have nothing to do with the people of this land that, you're going to, that I'm going to give it to you. But we see here Ahab took that step to go and mingle himself with Jezebel of the Zidonians. And not only that, he worships Baal, who is the God of these non-believers. As if not enough, he also built an altar and made a groove to Baal. That is bad as it gets, isn't it? 
And sure enough, Jezebel has no good influence on Ahab. When somebody like Ahab, who is the king, opens the floodgates like that, what happens? A nation, the character of a nation, can be seen by the character of their leaders. I wish that when we do elections, I'm not making any political statement here. I wish that if you, those who vote would consider the characters of people that they're advocating for. Because that will set the tone for how the nation is going to go. If you've been following the news, there have been some headlines on a company called Chamber of Commerce, something like that. Because of one incident. First, it was one incident. One incident that happened within the work environment. And then there were two reports that came through, some whispers on the sidelines. And then because of those two reports, and then there were some others that were not registered, but people didn't want to come forward, the leadership, the entire leadership, was sacked. Why? Because the culture that is in the organization is determined by the leadership. There is responsibility how the leadership leads a group of people will determine what happens to the people. It will determine how they behave. I remember when I was working for Northern Power Grid, they showed us a picture of um, Warren Buffett. Northern Power Grid is owned by Berkshire Hathaway, who is Warren Buffett. They showed a picture of him running, right, in New York. And he was saying, this is Warren Buffett who owns this company, and he is running. Do you know why he's running? He's going to a meeting. So one of the cultures at Northern Power Grid was that you are never late to a meeting. If you come late, you are not allowed into the meeting. You will be kicked outside. The meeting will go ahead without you. Why? Because the leader set the tone. And so everybody knew that if you've got a meeting, you better set your alarm, set your, set your, set your laptop, set, set, set everything. Make sure that you make it on time to that meeting because the leadership set the tone. So with Ahab setting the tone here, what do we see? We see a man called Hill, H-I-E-L, Hill, Hill. God in Joshua chapter 6, after the destruction of Jericho, he had warned Israel that don't rebuild Jericho. But when the leadership showed defiance to God like this, what do you expect? The people will follow, will follow through. And sure enough, Hill tried to rebuild Jericho. And God had put a case that whoever is going to build Jericho, they will build them on the blood of their children. But seeing Ahab, who is in open defiance of God, there is nothing stopping him from defying God. And sure enough, he tries to rebuild Jericho. And scripture tells us, just as God said, two of his children died as a result of that. 
Now we see this culture now that is cultivating in Israel. Israel feels emboldened to be defiant because of the leadership of Ahab. Even in dark times such as that, we thank God that we have a God that is merciful. I mean, you would have thought, after all the experiences that Israel had gone through, after all the stories that they had their fathers going through uh, the Red Sea, after all the stories that they had about the plagues in the land of, of Egypt, you would think at this point God would say, you know what, you have it. I'm done with you. But God in his mercy in that dark hour, he sends a prophet, Elijah. A bright star in a very, very dark land. God always has his people. We are thankful that God never gives up on us. Our land is nothing compared to the days of the David Livingstone. In my country in Zimbabwe, this is my country too, but I have another country. <laughs> in Zimbabwe, we have a statue of David Livingstone. Up to now, you can find uh, churches that were founded because of David Livingstone. I, when I went in May with my wife, we went to a place of Sissy John Rose. The stories that were written there of the things that he did for the gospel. All those people, they trace their home back to where? This land. But what we see today in the land that used to send missionaries. So Elijah comes into the scene and he rebukes he rebukes Ahab. And after this rebuke God tells Elijah to go and hide. Because his message was not popular. Now, this is very interesting because Elijah goes to a woman, a woman who belongs to Zidon. Even in the place of where Jezebel came from, there is still a remnant that is for the Lord. Even in North Korea, even in China, even in Iran, even in Saudi Arabia, God has his people. We are going to be shocked when eternity reveals to us where some of the believers are going to come from. Do you think the scripture is lying when it talks about from every tongue, of every nation, of every kindred, in Revelations? Do you believe that? In the land of Zidon, the land of, 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 of infidels, the land of, of devil worshippers, the land of Baal worshippers, we see this woman that God sends Elijah to visit. At this point, Elijah 
by the power of God, instructed by God, has told Ahab that this land is not going to rain for three years. Three years, drought. And then God provides for Elijah for a little while, fed by the birds. And then he tells them, after the stream that he was drinking from dried up, he tells them to go to this woman uh, in, in, from Zidon. Even in that land of drought, when Elijah gets there, this woman tells him, I have got nothing. The only thing that I'm left with is just this little flower that is left and this small flask that I'm just going to cook it and then I am ready to die. Three years it hadn't rained. Now, there were no tinned foods in those days, remember. If the crops failed, you have got nothing for three years. And yet, God in his faithfulness provides for this woman because of the man of God. The world has no idea how much it benefits because of the presence of Christians that are in their midst. God was willing to spare Sodom and Gomorrah for 10 people. If we could find 10 people. Some of the messes of God that the world enjoys today is not because this world deserves it, but because of his loved ones. God in his mercy deals mercifully with the world. This woman because of the man of God is going to be provided and is sustained with his son over the time of this uh, drought. On the other hand, Ahab, even though he is evil, there is a man in his ranks who's called Obadiah. Obadiah is a God-fearing man. How we should pray that our leaders surround themselves in their ranks that are God-fearing. Because it is those people that are around them that will mold what kind of a leader that they will become to lead the nation. So Obadiah is a godly man who works for Ahab, very trusted by Ahab. And Obadiah meets Elijah. And Obadiah tells, Elijah tells Obadiah, go and tell King Ahab that I am coming to meet you. Remember the land has been in drought for three years. And, El and Ahab has been searching high and low for this man who met him and told him that because of his works, there is not going to be rain for three years. And as far as King Ahab is concerned, this man, Elijah, is the troublemaker. This man should die. And he has been looking for him high and low. And lo, Elijah shows up before Obadiah. And Elijah says to Obadiah, 
Go and tell your master Ahab that I am coming to see him. And Obadiah says, no, 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 no. You're not going to do that to me. Do you know, actually, that I am actually not in the team of Ahab? I'm a God-fearing man. And indeed, this man, when Jezebel in her bloodthirst lust was going after the prophets of God, he hid men of God in 50s, hundreds of them, in caves, and fed them, and prodded for them, and saved their lives. Because Jezebel wanted to kill them. And said, if you tell me to go and tell Ahab, Ahab has been looking for you. And the Spirit of God is going to carry you away. And then when I say to Ahab, you are here and you are not here, I'm in trouble. That's my head on, my, on, the, on, on, the, on a platter here. And then Elijah tells him that, not so. I will be here. When they meet eventually Ahab and Elijah, they accuse, Ahab accuses Elijah to be the problem maker. We are accused. And we will be accused of being the unconforming people who are causing trouble in this world. But Elijah doesn't argue very much with him. And what really strikes me about Ahab is that even after these experiences, the arrogance and stubbornness of Ahab still persists. If only he had noticed that what Elijah had said, that three years you are going to have drought, what, what do you think should Ahab, Ahab have responded? You would think that after such an obvious evidence of God's power against him, he will take stock and say, look, I better start listening. I have wondered to myself that the world knows that we talk about rapture. Christians talk about rapture. And I've always wondered, what is going to happen when rapture happens? Have you ever thought? They know that Christians have always been talking about this. And then eventually it's going to happen. You would think to yourself, right, that everybody who's going to remain is going to become a Christian automatically. <gasps> they were right. They were right. But when you read in Revelation, that's not what happens. That's not what happens. They'll say it's good riddance. They will explain it away. In fact, we labeled that we were causing all sorts of problems. This is good riddance. It is good that we are no longer here. Can you imagine all the houses that are going to be vacant when the Christians go home? All the cars that should be that would be for the taking. Certainly, all the world's problems about accommodation is going to disappear, and everybody can own a house. I mean, this is me just thinking out wild here. Can you imagine the vacancies of jobs all of a sudden? There are Christians in very high positions that God places them. All of a sudden, they will be for the taking. The world would have no time. The scientists will come with some explanation, instant combustion. I don't know. They'll come up with something. They would rather believe anything than what scripture teaches. And Ahab here meets Elijah after he told him that for three years they're not going to have rain. But Elijah is, Ahab is still stubborn and arrogant in his ways. What does Elijah do? Elijah, he says, 
bring in all your prophets. And he sets up an altar to prove who the true God is. Now, they do all sorts of things. The prophets of Elijah try to, try, trying to cajole their God to act on their behalf. And then nothing happens. Now, here is the truth of that scripture tells us. Scripture, the world tells us that there are many gods. But in reality, there is really one true God. Now, I'm not saying this disrespectfully of all these other religions. But the truth of scripture is that there is only one true God. Now, the other side, there is only two options. It's either you worship the devil or you worship a non-existent God, a figment of your imagination. Isaiah talks about this quite a lot. You take a wood. You take some of it, you make a fire with it. You cook and you warm yourself with it. And you say, ah, I am warm. You take the same wood and you carve an image out of it. You are warmed by the wood. Now you are going to take the same wood and you bow before it and you say it's good. Now, are they really worshipping the devil? To be honest, they are worshipping a non-existent God. It's nothing. They are just following anything other than the true real God. They are allowing themselves to believe a lie. And we know who the father of lies is. And so these prophets, they do whatever they do, nothing happens, and eventually God steps forward. One of the things that we know about our God is that our God is a God that acts. Is God a fighter? God is a fighter. But do we fight physically fight on behalf of God? No. We don't. I think it was um, Jephthah. I might be wrong. I think it was Jephthah who bent down the altars of Baal. And when they came, the worshippers of Baal, they came to get him for bending down his altars. His father said to him, let your God contend for himself. If you are going to contend for your God, that which means your God is weak. We are not going to fight. We are not going to fight for our Lord. Our Lord is going to fight for himself. Who is he who comes out of the land of Bozrah? Whose garments are dyed red? Who is he? Do you think it's the poor carpenter's son from Jerusalem? Do you think when he comes, he's going to be in a manger? No, 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 no. When he comes, he will come as a warrior. We are not going to fight. He will fight his battles. And the world will discover on that day that he is the lion of Judah to protect his people. Now, there's a lot that we can say here. But after Elijah proves that there is only one true God, 
he tells Ahab, run. Three years there had been no rain. And he tells Ahab, run. There is rain that is coming. You know, in Romans chapter 4, it says that God is a God who calls that which is not as if is. In other words, God calls things that have not happened because when God intends to do something, it is done, even though it is not done. Elijah tells Ahab, run, there is a storm that is coming. At that time, the cloud was not a cloud in the sky. At that time, the sun was hot. At that time, there was no sign that there was going to be rain. As I was reading this, I said to myself, I wish I could encourage myself more to believe God. Can, can you see this scenario? Elijah, it's bright, it's hot, it's barren, it's a desert. And he tells King Ahab, run, there is a storm that is coming. And he goes and prays seven times. And every time he sends a servant, what do you see? It's nothing. Second time, what do you see? Nothing. Third time, what do you see? Nothing. How many times have we been to God asking and asking and asking? And it seems it's nothing. Do we faint when we don't get answers to our prayers at the time that we want them? Elijah did it. He asked and asked and asked. On the seventh time, the seventh count, he says, I see a cloud the size of a man's fist. And he says, Gideon, Lord, it's time to go. This was a man of faith. A cloud the size of a fist. He knew God. You know, we seeing that we walk not by sight but by faith. But I really don't know how much of that is true in my heart. When God tells us in his word, how much really do we believe the things that God tells us are real? But Elijah knew God. He knew the God that he saved. And he gave it himself. After three years, it rained, just as the servant of God said. When Jezebel hears that Elijah has destroyed all the prophets of Baal, what does she do? She goes after Elijah. Now, thank God, you know, these great men of God, we are reminded constantly again. Sometimes we wonder, can we live the lives that the saints of old lived? I mean, these were amazing people. But from time to time, scripture reminds us that there is only one person who is perfect, who has ever lived on this world. And that is the Lord Jesus. Even Elijah, who did not test death, when he is threatened by Jezebel, 
he runs for his life. In fact, he becomes bitter. He becomes depressed. And when God finds him, it's amazing. Do you notice how God starts with people? He asks them a question. Adam, where are you? It's not that, it's not that God doesn't, didn't know where Adam was. You know? But he asks him, what are you doing here? The God that we serve actually wants us to talk to him. He wants us to talk to him. Look at the, look at the prayers of the people of Scripture. If you look at the prayers of the people of, uh, people of Scripture, you will notice that actually these people understood God in a very different way than maybe perhaps we make it out to be. These are conversations. If you look at the prayers, they are actually just conversations. These are people that are just speaking to their God. They're just speaking to their Father. They're just speaking as if their God is standing next to them. They're having a conversation with God. There is nothing. You don't attain some status to pray to God. May I encourage brothers, actually, amongst ourselves. There is nothing magical about the words that you ought to use when you pray to God. You can... You can pray the simplest. This, as long as you know your God, you know your Father, you can speak to your Father. You don't have to attend some kind of a language or some kind of special phraseology. No. Just like you talk to your Father. Talk to your Father. Elijah, in his state of depression... Where does God take him? And I think I'll finish with this. He takes him to Mount Horeb. Do you remember what Mount Horeb is? It's the place of the law. It's Mount Sinai. And when God tells him to step outside, actually if you read, I think it's verse 13, he actually does it. He is bitter at this point, Elijah. Twice he repeats the same accusations. I've been faithful to you, God. I've done this for you, God. Now they're coming after me. Do we sometimes feel as if God has forsaken us? Sometimes God would allow us to be in certain circumstances and we wonder to ourselves, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? I have done everything right. I have lived for God. I have tried to live a God life. Why is this happening to me? Do we even understand why we have cancer within believers? Sometimes God allows these things. And sometimes we should guard from bitterness. But look at the way God deals with Elijah. We have an amazing God. An amazing God. God could have said, who do you think you are? But he's going to usher this man into heaven without testing death. He reminds him that even if you think you have done all things right. You see, God sends a strong wind God sends an earthquake, 
God sends a fire. You would have thought because this is Mount Sinai. You remember the scene of Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, the last time Israel looked at Mount Sinai, it was a fierce place. It was a, a dreadful place, in inverted commas. So much so that Israel said, you know what, Moses, you go and deal with this God. You just come and tell us what he says. You know, we are not going to, we can't stand this. It was scary. And God sends all these phenomenal events. But God is not in. God speaks to him in a still, small voice. God doesn't act the way we expect. We would expect that God should judge people instantly. Don't we? God, contend for your people. Show yourself strong. Knock out their teeth. But God does not act the way we think. Instead, he talks to Elijah in a small, still voice. Now, in closing, Ahab in spite of all these things that he had done, God tells him that you are going to pay for this. You're not going to get away with this. You are going to pay for this and justly so. But the amazing thing about God is that Ahab goes and humbles himself before God. And God says, look, how Ahab has humbled himself. Do you sometimes feel that you are so far gone? Or do we think that there are some people that are so far gone that they are beyond help? It's too late for them. Richard Dawkins? Is it too late for Richard Dawkins? Peter Tatchell? Is that Peter Tatchell? Yeah, I think so. Is it too late for, for the search? There are people who are making a living out of the fact that if you as much as utter God in the public square, they will drag you before courts and prosecute you. Is it too late for such people? Is it too late for King John Hoon? Is that his name? Is it too late? Let us not restrict the mercies of God. Ahab found mercy in the eyes of God. And God said, I will not do to you what I was going to do to you. Not in your lifetime. Because God is a merciful God. These are simple thoughts that we can, this, there's so much that you can read about Ahab. Please feel free to enjoy in your own leisure time at home.
and you will see how God deals uh, with Ahab. And these things are for our learning, these things are for our profiting, and these things are for us to take to heart as we seek to know the God that we save. Let us pray. Our God and our good Savior, we thank you for all these things, your voice that we hear from your word. We thank you for all these examples, Lord, that you have set out for us. We thank you, God, that you are a merciful God. We thank you, Lord, that as we see these things, it stirs us up to pray for our land, to pray for our leaders, to pray, O oh Lord, for the circumstances that we see ourselves in, in this land that you have given us. We pray, Lord, that our land will obtain mercy, that even in the heart of Ahab, we would turn to God and humble ourselves that we may obtain forgiveness. We pray, O oh Lord, that we would see in our lifetime the work of God in this country, in this town, in this assembly, in our families, that the world may know that you are like none other God. All other gods are vile. All other gods are not real. But only you are the true God. Teach these things to our hearts, Lord, as we ask all this. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.